Uh, dear friends, the time has come. Um, my name is Tad Mitsui, and uh, I'm a moderator of today's session. Uh, today's title is uh, Sakpa Explores Fort McMurray. And uh, apparently, uh, Fort McMurray has a bad name and bad press. And Terry Shillington, the speaker, is going to give us another picture of Fort McMurray. Uh, I look forward to this. And uh, before I begin, uh, I should say a few important things, such as thanking people who are helping us to continue this important institution in Lesbridge. First of all, University of Lesbridge, uh, who give us uh, all kinds of uh, help in all forms, as well as Country Kitchen Catering, who always provide us with a beautiful and delicious lunch. But don't forget to pay for it. Uh, there's a basket on your table, and uh, I would appreciate everybody put uh, 10 bucks into it. And Lisa will collect uh, this uh, later. Uh, brief uh, Introduction with Terry Shillington. I phoned him this morning and I said, you don't have to say anything about me. And I said, that is true. Uh, a lot of people know him better than I do. I came here only nine years ago and uh, Terry has been working at the McKillop United Church for 17 years. So uh, what should I say anything more? Except to say he was born and grew up in Saskatchewan, and as a, yes, you say? It's a holy land, isn't it? As a former resident of Montreal, I must convey my sincere sympathy <laughs> for missing Holy Grail. Uh, you can get it back. Anyhow, uh, he was educated in theology at St. Andrews College in Saskatoon and did some graduate studies in Germany. And uh, after 17 years working for McKillop United Church, he's retired last year and worked one year in Fort McMurray. And I don't think I should say anything more because you know better, you know him better than I do. Uh, the format of a session is as usual, uh, with uh, 25 to 30 minutes uh, presentation by the speaker, and have lunch. And at about 1 o'clock, we begin question and answer period. Uh, Lisa, shall I announce the next session next week? Okay. Uh, next week will be interesting, too. Uh, it's about Lethbridge transit. Are we reading, really moving forward on this institution on our, in our city? Speaker is Joanne King. Uh, please look forward to this next week's session. Terry, we're looking forward to hearing you. Well, it's such a privilege to be here. I have uh, a lot of respect for the Council of Public Affairs, and I'm thankful you're all here. Uh, you know, a couple of things I want to say before I start talking. One is that I have some slides to show you, and the second is when we get to the question period, I hope it's quite lively, but 
I do warn you that I'm serving three days a week at Foremost these days, and I've brought four husky bodyguards from Foremost uh, who will protect me from any of you. Uh, <laughs> um, as I was in Fort McMurray, they were, uh, the church was doing a um, search for a new minister, and so I wound up with a memory stick with these uh, slides on them. And so as I start, I'm just going to um, show you about ten slides so that to personalize the place we're talking about, and then, uh, and then the slides are not my concern. So this is the, um, the entry to Fort McMurray from the south. And that is a... Uh, I have a bubbly little doodad here, um, which I can't use. Uh, that, that's a quite an old slide, actually, and uh, they're now working on their uh, third bridge here. Uh, uh, traffic is, uh, and gridlock is uh, one of the major issues in Fort McMurray, and this is the Athabasca River, and this is a waterway, and the, the Clearwater River is over here, and it runs off to Saskatchewan, Uranium City. Uh, anyway... Uh, uh, they're, they're now working on their uh, third bridge across that river trying to um, keep gridlock, especially during shift change, down to a minimum. Um, some of the slides they put together acquainting somebody who might be coming with what this community is about, lights interfering. These are not critical. I just want you to uh, get some images in your head. Um, and uh, incredible size of equipment. When they refer in the last slide to dump trucks, you may think they're talking about a half-ton truck, but, <laughs> but, but they are monster uh, vehicles. That's a picture of uh, United Church. And the Salvation Army, which has a very important ministry with um, homeless and uh, lost people in the downtown. And a gathering place for uh, First Nations people. And then this is just kind of interesting, the price of housing in Fort McMurray. And I don't know if you can read those figures. Uh, but uh, uh, a single dwelling house uh, worth almost half a million dollars with under 900 square feet and a mobile home that's just under 400,000 and uh, so on it goes. So, um, and those prices have eased. I'm going to go back to the river. Hey, leave that as background. So a year and a half ago, when I was uh, winding down my time at MacKillop United Church and preparing for my next year in Fort McMurray, people were often asking me what I was going to do next year, and um, were always astonished when I told them that I was going to spend the next year in Fort McMurray. I think they expected me to say that we'd be traveling, or I'd be polishing up my golf game, or uh, practicing new muffin recipes, or something um, appropriate for retirement. In particular, I remember one conversation in the church lounge one May evening. A woman asked this question about what I was doing. When I told her I was going to Fort McMurray, she looked thoughtful and replied, the armpit of Alberta. She said it with a kindly face and a twinkle in her eye, but also with some direct honesty. That was what many people thought when they considered Fort McMurray, the armpit of Alberta. In the past year, I've read a couple of books about Fort McMurray and the oil sands business. One is by Andrew Nikoforic, entitled uh, Tar Sands, Dirty Oil and the Future of a Continent. Nikoforic, a passionate and articulate environmentalist and a friend of this council, uh, is scathing about the destruction the oil sands is wreaking on the countryside, and hardly less scathing about the political management involved. 
than to investigative journalist William Marsden has written a book in which the title pretty well tells it all. Quote, Stupid to the Last Drop, How Alberta is Bringing Environmental Armageddon to Canada, then in brackets, and doesn't seem to care. While folk and smoke and fire uh, almost pour out of this book, when you open it, the title tells you uh, what to expect. Having lived in Fort McMurray for a year, I'm not an expert on the oil business, and I'm not going to pretend I am, but I do have some perspectives to offer that differ sharply from what the media uh, presents. They also differ sharply from some opinions I took there, and although I hate to confess it, I have a little more sympathy for the provincial government and for the major corporations involved in Fort McMurray. I'd like to say a few words about the nature of Fort McMurray as a community. I want to address five of the burning issues in the environmental debate, reflecting about what Fort McMurray insiders would say. And I want to close by completing the sentence uh, that's contained in the title, the issue is not dirty oil, but... The community of Fort McMurray... I started out with a vague but thoroughly negative impression of Fort McMurray as a city. Drugs were rampant. Everybody was short-staffed, including the RCMP. I'd seen a clip on the CBC about that. I imagined some kind of ugly industrial community, one with a great dark cloud hanging over it. It would be an unhappy, stressed place, soiled place in which everyone there uh, was there just long enough to make a buck and get home again. Nikephoric adds to this image with his chapter titles. He talks about Highway 63, the accident-prone traffic artery leading to Fort McMurray from Edmonton. He titles the chapter, Highway to Hell. He writes off the attempt at environmental protection as putting, quote, lipstick on a corpse. Media have had a ball painting the ills of Fort McMurray. The role of the media in stoking negative images is quite striking. When I arrived, I heard local people naming this problem of media distortion. I thought it was surely being overplayed. But last spring, something quite revealing happened. On Sunday, May 31st, uh, on the waterway just um, that I pointed out to you there, uh, my, my third floor apartment window looked out on that waterway. Anyway, on May 31st, Sunday night, Four young men capsized a canoe in the Clearwater River at the edge of the city. By Sunday evening, and the crowd gathered virtually outside my apartment window, uh, they, were, they were young men in their uh, 19, 20, 21. By Sunday evening, it was clear two of those four men were probably dead, although their bodies would not surface for another two weeks. On Wednesday of the next week, so three days later, Syncrude had a workplace explosion. Uh, Four men were hospitalized. Uh, Only one of those was kept overnight, and he was released the next day. CBC reported this Syncrude explosion uh, in the provincial news Wednesday and Thursday. Only on Friday did they report briefly on a one-liner that two young men had died in a canoeing accident outside the city. Which of these two incidents do you think was the most significant? The reality is that Any negative story around the oil sands draws huge media attention. Some people who leave Fort McMurray add to that image. I flew up uh, there in May of 2008 to meet congregational leaders. I flew in from Calgary beside a big, burly carpenter from Gander who occupied 
100% of his seat and about 30% of mine. Uh, he told me that he spent 20 days in a work camp and then eight days back in Newfoundland. 20 days in, eight days home. We talked about that. I asked him if he was going to move his family to Fort Mac. His answer was instantaneous and absolute. No, he would not raise his children in Fort McMurray. However, it became clear as our conversation progressed that he knew very little about the city. He lived in one of the work camps and only traveled through the city monthly to get to the airport. I discovered Fort McMurray is quite a beautiful city nestled in the contours of the Athabasca River. The older part of the city... Uh, referred to as the lower town site in city planning, is at the confluence of the Athabasca and the Clearwater River. Fort McMurray has a long history, by the way, and the original in industry of the area was salt mining. They used to bring salt down the Clearwater uh, and, um, and develop it. Um, even with the frantic ongoing construction, this is a beautiful northern city. Newer additions or suburbs of the community are constructed in runs and valleys leading into the Athabasca River. Green spaces abound. Spruce and aspen mark off one city suburb from another. Look anywhere and you will see construction. A third bridge is going up across, across the Athabasca to handle traffic uh, to the work sites and, uh, and uh, particularly in the north but also south of the city. Most of my year a major sewer trunk line was being built right outside my apartment window, um, which will eventually bore under the Athabasca River and uh, connect up with the west side. A new three-story condo is being built across the street from the United Church, and on it goes. Even with the construction, which is always playing catch-up to the rate of industry expansion, even though the city has too little money to spend on parks and beautification, this is a scenic place. Some of the images floating about in my mind had to do with the quality of community that must be present in such a driven, overtaxed town. The recession which struck uh, last fall drastically showed, slowed traffic and the sense of exhaustion in the community. When I arrived, there were about 70,000 people in the city itself and about another 25,000 single people in work camps roughly an hour north of the city. The city was on overload. Huge lineups stretched back from Tim Hortons. That's how you know how busy things are. Uh, the lineup at the post office at Shoppers would have at least six to eight people in front of you. If it was any less, you were definitely having a good day. After the recession struck, suddenly those work camps were empty. And so traffic and the lineup, uh, length of lineup suddenly eased. And except for the people who lost their jobs, people in Fort McMurray celebrated that slowdown. Certainly the mayor and city council did. Uh, quality of life had jumped upwards, but clearly there have always been some great aspects to living in this northern city. The local ministerial, a clergy organization, is the most supportive and cohesive and caring of any I have ever dealt with. Those people cared about each other, respecting and honoring each other, quite apart from doctrinaire differences. The city is a multi-ethnic community with ethnic groups from all over the world. In my apartment building, about half the tenants were Somalian or East Indian. And because of the housing shortage, there is no ghetto. These various language groups live side by side in harmony. 
Mayor and City Council have a great vision for how they want the city to develop and have defined that in a 20-year plan. That leadership group asked the provincial government to slow or temporarily halt expansion in, uh, I believe it was 2008. They wanted the quality of life, including infrastructure, to catch up to the population. The province refused to consider a slowdown. Fort McMurray residents in recent United Appeal campaigns have had among the highest rate of charitable giving in the country. Contrary to what some may think, a passion for the environment rages in Fort Mac. The municipality of Wood Buffalo, which includes the city of Fort McMurray, became the first municipality in Canada to ban plastic bags, a ban that takes effect in 2010. There is a good, healthy mood in this community. It's a wholesome place to live and a wholesome place to raise your children. Some of the issues in the great debate. Residents of Fort McMurray accept that their city is held in great disrepute among other Canadians. It generates a bit of persecution complex that only draws residents closer together and, if anything, increases appreciation they have for one another. They are used to being the subject of debate. For example, when our Northern United Church Presbytery, Yellowhead, uh, had an April meeting in the city, it, uh, the Presbytery held an open town hall meeting on the oil sands to which the community was involved. When a coalition of church leaders called Kairos, includes Mennonites, Catholics, Presbyterians, and so on, came to the city in late May to explore oil sands and environmental issues. <clears throat> they were welcomed and treated with great hospitality in another open evening. <clears throat> from these discussions and from the writings of such people as <clears throat> Nikephoric and Marsden, it becomes clear that five issues loom large. They are land reclamation, water consumption by the industry, water and air quality, community impact of the industry, and more recently, carbon sequestration. I'm not going to say much about carbon sequestration, except to say that among middle-ranking oil sands employees I talked to, uh, there was hot debate on the idea of burying carbon dioxide in the earth permanently. Both Syncrude and Suncor as corporations have refused to take part in the project, claiming they cannot afford the cost in this recessionary time. However, I know several of their, of their employees reaching up to the management level also doubt the efficacy of or practicality of the idea. And they argue much of the carbon footprint of the industry comes from trucks and other implements which would not be caught by smokestack carbon capture. The debate over land reclamation is one of the most intriguing and misleading, I think. Both Marsden and Nikephoric summarily reject uh, that any significant land will be reclaimed. I find the truth uh, much more mixed. Nikephoric says in his, in his book, Reclamation in the tar sands now amounts to little more than putting lipstick on a corpse. Unless Alberta and Canada soon address the pace, effectiveness, and transparency of reclamation, a rich forest will become an impoverished, industrial park littered with salts, grass, polluted water, and spindly trees, it might, with a bit of luck and some regular rainfall, eventually resemble a third-rate golf course in the Sudan. Of course, this is a wonderful writing and a quite picturesque description, but I'm not sure it's helpful or entirely accurate. 
Granted, these open pit mining operations create a huge scar on the land, especially as seen from the air. But it's also true that the major oil sands players have already reclaimed thousands of acres, 11,000 for Syncrude alone. A significant buffalo herd run by First Nations people of Fort Mackay are a testimony that the land can be reclaimed. Considerable scientific research by the companies has gone into speeding up the reclamation process. They've recently made breakthroughs in the removal of sulfur. That means a toxic pond can be reclaimed in two years, they say, rather than decades. And I know a very interesting article appeared in uh, yesterday's paper on that, and uh, we can talk about that later. It's also true that they cannot return the land to its pre-industrial state. While they can return the land to trees and grass, they cannot produce the wetlands nature of the surface. The wet cannot be restored to land composition. At present, at present and this is another debate, uh, Syncrude scientists claim that they can develop a process for the toxic ponds in which the toxic elements drop to the bottom and the top layer of the pond is healthy, life-sustaining water. So in their vision, toxic, toxins at the bottom, healthy water at the top. Uh, the company scientists claim they can resolve the problems involved. Alberta environment officials uh, are certain this cannot be done, and the debate rages. My sense is that the companies are making great headway in land reclamation. It's not a perfect return to pristine conditions. But then when early explorers discovered this terrain, the water and land was oily, tarry, and anything but pristine. If provincial regulation and enforcement holds the corporate toes to the fire on this, this can be a success story. Certainly the technology is there. Health impact, thirdly. Many are aware of the concern over cancer rates in Fort Chippewan. Elders of that community insist in recent years that there has been an, an abnormal number of deaths and increase of cancer. Most have heard of Dr. O'Connor, the former medical doctor for that region who appeared to be chased out of the community and province by government officials and medical uh, representatives who objected to his findings and uh, his way of dealing with the information. When a regional survey or study did not seem to take all the factors into consideration, the community of Fort Chip financed a study of its own. It has looked like a surefire cover-up and the persecution of a medical saint with Dr. O'Connor now far away in the Maritimes, and the CBC did a piece on Dr. O'Connor. After exploring this from the sidelines, I know that the assessment is not quite as simple. Independent physicians claim the Fort uh, CHIP study was poorly handled and shared with the media rather than with the medical establishment. The medical health officer for the region, Dr. Brent Friesen, a bright young medic, dismissed the findings as not being significantly different from other similar communities. While I'm inclined to trust the elders of the community who insist that something is wrong, clearly some normally trustworthy medical officials are not convinced. There is a criticism to be made it may be that the provincial government in the face of this controversy uh, might have done a study which established the causes of health abnormalities. <clears throat> but as in so many of these issues, the provincial government has been conspicuous by its silence. Fourthly, water consumption. Both uh, Marsden and Nicophoric claim the amount of water being drawn from the Athabasca River has reached cataclysmic proportions and signals a disaster for the Athabasca River. It's 
industry sources argue that all the combined oil sands projects draw less than 1% of the annual flow of the Athabasca. It is true that technological advances in recent years have drastically reduced the amount of water consumed. It isn't that many years ago that they were saying five to eight barrels of water was required for every barrel of crude. It now seems industry needs just two barrels of water. <clears throat> industry also has learned to recycle almost all the water it uses so that they're not drawing two new barrels of water for each barrel of oil produced. It is true that in some seasons of low flow, industry needs to reduce its take, and that is accomplished by building up a reservoir in the high flow season. There's just no evidence I could see that the water withdrawal from the Athabasca River is irresponsible. <clears throat> the dirty oil debate. Residents and environmentalists in the community in the congregation in Fort McMurray would reword the title to my address. The issue is not dirty oil, it is that all oil is dirty. They would argue that the reason they have jobs in this industry is because people the world over keep consuming oil by ever-increasing quantities. They would ask, why do media and environmentalists villainize them when the environmental impact of oil production in Fort McMurray would soon vanish if you and I consumed less oil? <clears throat> Indeed, if I asked you how you got here today, not many of you could say that you got here without consuming an oil product. They would concede that indeed the carbon imprint of this industry on the globe is quite significant, but point to a couple of other factors, and uh, I'd just like to mention three mitigating factors. Students of this issue generally concede that coal-generated electricity has a far greater carbon imprint. Why do Americans focus on dirty Alberta oil when they could focus on the problems of coal-generated power in Kentucky? Why do not Albertans tackle the, the issues of coal? Of, of coal? <clears throat> Secondly, they would ask if oil from Saudi Arabia is really all that clean. Pollution standards in Saudi Arabia are uh, likely lower than here. And then when the oil is extracted from the ground, how does it get here? It is put in tankers powered by bunker oil and then shipped across the Atlantic. Is the oil that winds up in Halifax really all that clean? I'm not aware of any comparative studies on this, but it's an interesting question. Some of them would raise a third concern. <clears throat> With the long-standing players in the oil sands, Syncrude and Suncor, there's much history of technological research relating to uh, reducing the environmental impact. However, there has long been little interest by the provincial government in environmental issues. While present standards are enforced, they claim, so much more could be done by the province to push the industry. And industry insiders will say that one, <coughs> one corporation cannot move apart from the others in implementing any of these costly measures. However, the history of the provincial conservative party has been that it has been behind the curve on all the environmental debates, only really responding to them when public pressure pushes it. My opinion. We surely can concede that the imprint on the earth of extracting oil from northern Alberta is hugely significant. <coughs> and we can agree in this room that the health of the planet cannot sustain the abuse it is presently receiving from many sides. <coughs> Mostly the easily, easily accessible oil on the globe has already been consumed. 
Rather than vilify the production of oil sands oil, thank you, that's what I need. Rather than vilify the production of oil sands oil, perhaps we would do better to concede that all oil is dirty. Perhaps it's a neat cop-out to identify one region and one industry that is particularly irresponsible because then it takes the pressure off the rest of us to make changes in our painful changes to our own lives. When we all live to live more simply, this problem will be solved and not until. This hostility by Canadian and Americans to oil sands is simply an alternative to tackling matters of lifestyle and consumption of oil and plastics for us all. Thank you. I look forward to questions and conversation later.